Oh, well, thank you so much for um, the way you have welcomed us and our family and made us a part of your experience, even though we're kind of the weird ones that came in from the outside. And um, you have no idea how much I appreciate uh, the grace you have given me just to share uh, what I think God has placed on my heart and how welcoming you've been to that, and I'm grateful for that. So thank you very much for, uh, for this week. I'm also grateful for, as so many people were even praying, that what our KCs have poured into our kids. And, you know, my kids have had a great week. Grayson has already, I think the first words out of his mouth this morning, which were probably the same as the last words out of his mouth when he went to sleep last night, was, can we come back next year? I mean, it's just, that's just he's having a great experience. And, and it's really cool how... Um, with, the, with the kids, the Casey's have poured into them, and I don't know if this is true for all kids, but I know in Grayson's uh, group, talking about the, the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, some of the great uh, characters from the Bible, historical figures from the Bible. Um, and it, that prompted in me a, a thought, with, I think it was Grayson several weeks ago, because we, we just had these kind of conversations every once in a while, just kind of pop open some great question like, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or who's your favorite person in the Bible? You ever had that one? You know? and, and that's a great, it's always kind of an interesting question, because, you know, is it Solomon? Is it David? Um, is it Mary? I mean, who is your favorite? I'll tell you, I began to think about this and thought, and this is in all honesty, one of my favorite figures in the Bible is Barabbas. And I love the perspective that Barabbas must have had when he watched all of the events of the cross. Um, and, uh, and I want to just kind of walk through that a little bit today. You know, a story that, you know, you've heard a thousand times, um, the, but, and maybe you didn't realize some of the, the nuances of it. When Jesus went, when Jesus, before the cross, there was actually two trials. Jesus went through two trials. There was a religious trial and then the, and then the civil trial. Um, and what led to Jesus' downfall, of course, was that the religious leaders of the day, the priests and the rabbis, um, were the ones who decided they were threatened by Jesus. Which, you know, if you think about it, the, um, if Jesus came today who do you think he would hang out with? You think that the people that would be the most excited about Jesus if he visited the planet today would be the religious people, right? Uh, but it, it wasn't true then. It probably wouldn't be true today. But I think the religious leaders of the day, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the rabbis, get a bad name because they really were good men. They really were. They were the pillars of society. They, were the, they really were men that were after God's heart. They wanted to know God. The problem was they had, uh, they had figured out what they thought it took to know God. And they, that was a part of the system that they had created and what they were preaching. And they were, their understanding of God was, was kind of twofold. One, it was that you got to God through your behavior by being good enough and following the rules and following the laws, that that was what got you favor with God and found you in relationship with God. And the second thing was that somehow they were the intermediary between everybody else and God. So what they taught people was, you need, it's all about being good enough and you need us. You need us to help you get to God. And so the reason they were threatened by Jesus was Jesus came along and said no to both of those things. He said, it's not about being good enough. And the second thing he said was, you don't need the religious leaders. You don't need the priests 
to get to God. You don't need the rabbis to get to God. Now, they play an important function in the church and in the religious community. But here was the, here was the radical thing that Jesus said in his day. You can have direct access to God yourself. That was, that was crazy talk. That was wild thinking that you could actually have access to God. So the religious leaders, that was so disturbing to them and what they really believed was true about God that they felt like the only logical solution was to get rid of Jesus because he was undermining the whole religious system of their day, of of good, God-loving men. And so they decided that the the right course of action would be to get rid of Jesus. So what did they do? They took Jesus then to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. He was in the Sanhedrin, a part of the kind of the spiritual, you know, supreme court. And um, and they took Jesus and stood Jesus before Caiaphas with the charge. And they and they claim they said, Caiaphas, this man claims to be the Son of God, claims to be the Christ, which is you know a charge of of blasphemy, which in the Old Testament in the Bible was punishable by death. And so they take him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas asks an interesting question. Caiaphas says to Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And I love Jesus' response, especially the Gospel of Mark records Jesus. And again, this is this, this the kind of masculine Jesus that we talked about who stands up, who takes responsibility, who avoids, you know, rejects passivity and stands up and and Mark records Jesus as saying when Jesus says when Caiaphas says are you the son of God Jesus says I am and I think his words get lost on us sometimes do you realize what I think Mark is saying there when Jesus says I am do you know what those words would have meant to Caiaphas that wasn't he wasn't just acknowledging I am is the name God gave himself so when, G- when Caiaphas says to Jesus, are you the son of God? And Jesus just stands there and doesn't say, yeah, yeah. He, he says, I am. Caiaphas would have gone, whoa! You're not just claiming to be the son of God. He used the name of God himself. He didn't just say, you're right, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's been foretold. I'm the promised one. I'm the Christ. He said, no, Caiaphas, it goes beyond that. I'm God himself. Well, no wonder Caiaphas was blown away by that. The courage it must have taken for Jesus to stand up and say, I am. And, and words that nobody was allowed to speak. You know, in the, in the Jewish day, you didn't even say the name of God. That's where the term the word comes from. Because they would say, instead of saying the word Yahweh, they would say, you know, the word. The, the word that we can't say, the word. And and so when Jesus says, I am, and claims to be God. So Caiaphas finds him guilty, obviously, of, of blasphemy for claiming to be God and sentence him to, sentences him to death. So they take Jesus out because that was the, the punishment for claiming to be God, for blasphemy. They take Jesus out and, um, and they get him in a group. And now this is basically just all the religious community, the religious leaders and the religious people. And they put a blindfold on Jesus and they spit on him um, and they cursed him, and they mocked him. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever been spit on before, but I don't know that there's anything more humiliating than being spit on. And these are the religious people, right? And then they blindfold him, and then they began to slug him and say, oh, okay, if you're God, tell us who just hit you. Come on, you're God, you should know that. And Jesus just, just took it. 
um, you know, we know he could have wiped them out right there, but he didn't. Um, and he just took it. But then that wasn't enough because the Jewish people, and you probably know this, the Jewish people of that day were an occupied people of the Roman government. So they didn't have the right, the ability to put somebody to death. So even though he deserved to die, he got the death sentence according to the Jewish law, the Jewish people couldn't put him to death because the Romans had control over all that. So now they had to take him to the Roman governor to see if they could get him condemned by the Romans to die. So now with these, with now the, the charge of, of, or the, punishment of death because of blasphemy, they take him to Pilate. But now they got to change the charge because Pilate could really give two rips whether he claims to be God or not. Pilate, Pilate's a political figure and all Pilate's concerned about is keeping order of the people that he's charged with ruling over in that part of the Roman Empire, which was Jerusalem. And so they take him to Pilate, but now they change the charge. They don't come in and say this man claims to be God. They said this man claims to be king. And suddenly the religious people became very patriotic. And they said, and we have no king but Caesar. You know how much we love Caesar, Pilate. And he, this man claims to be king. Pilate sees what's going on, and you know the story. Pilate tries to get out from this. Pilate just tries to smooth everything over. All Pilate wants to do is get rid of the mob and go have lunch and call it a day, right? And so Pilate, um, you know, asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate, we, we talked about this, Pilate's kind of hoping that Jesus says, I don't know what they're talking about. And, um, and Jesus says, it's as you have said. And so now Pilate's going, oh crap, now what do I do? You know, and how do I get out of this? So thinking quickly, Pilate remembers that there is, it's the Passover time of year and there's a tradition that the Romans had where every year they would release a political prisoner, one of the Jewish political prisoners, as kind of this gesture of, aren't we wonderful, the Roman government, we love you Jews that we take care of so well, and so we're going to release you, one of the prisoners, and they usually let the Jews decide who they want released from prison. But Pilate realizes this is his trump card. This is his way to get out of this dilemma. So Pilate goes and gets Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was this notorious criminal. Barabbas was in prison awaiting his own death because he had been charged with uh, you know, insurrection of, of, insur of stirring up a riot and, and people got killed and so uh, Barabbas was charged with murder. Barabbas, and this is not a huge town, so this is like would be somebody in your town who was just this notorious criminal that everybody knew his history. He was just a bad guy through and through, and you didn't want him released from prison. In fact, death might be a good thing for him and for all, everybody else. And this is a guy you wouldn't want released. And so Pilate knows that. And so Pilate decides, I'm going to give these people a choice. So Pilate brings Barabbas out and says, okay, it's Passover. I'm going to release one of these two political prisoners. Who should I release? Should I release Barabbas, this notorious murderer, criminal, bad guy that nobody wants back on the streets? Or should I release this Jesus who's done nothing wrong that I can see? You guys decide. And the religious leaders started stirring up the crowd to say, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And, um, and so Pilate, not knowing what to do, said, okay, but if I give you Barabbas, so he goes, okay, I guess we're releasing Barabbas. And then he said, what should I do with this one Jesus? And they began to say, crucify him, crucify him. And that's when Pilate did the whole, okay, I'm washing my hands of this whole affair. In other words, this isn't, this isn't on me. I'm just making sure we don't have a riot here. And so he released Jesus to be crucified by them. Pilate thinking that he you know, had kind of solved the day of the problem. And basically Pilate just became passive and wimped out, okay? 
Um, but here's what I wonder. I wonder what everything from this point on must have looked like to Barabbas, who knew that at any moment they would come, because they didn't set like execution dates. He just knew that at any moment they might come and get him and say, and I wonder if even that day, if he's in his cell, knowing that any day could be the day that he dies, and he hears the crowd starting to chant, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And maybe that all happened while he was still in his cell. And then Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And all Barabbas heard was, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then crucify him, crucify him. I wonder if Barabbas, had his heart just sank and he thought, oh, this is the day. And he heard the footsteps of the Roman soldiers coming to his cell. And he thought, this is it. I'm finally getting everything that I deserve. And the fear of that, and yet the realization that he's going to get what he actually deserves, and it's just, but the fear of that, and they come and they say, Barabbas, come with us. And maybe they had to drag him out because he was so weak at that point from fear, and he gets out and the light is just kind of blinding him because he hasn't seen the light of day in so many years. And, and then they say, you're free to go. And he thinks, oh yeah, this is just a joke. I'm going to start running and then they're going to grab me and go, you're such an idiot. And then they're going to take me off and crucify me. So I wonder if he just kind of stood there frozen for a few minutes. I wonder what this whole experience was like for Barabbas who watched all this and then watched them take Jesus and then the crowd kind of left Barabbas and followed this group taking Jesus away and nobody was left to Barabbas. And, he, and he, maybe he thought, maybe this is real. Maybe I am being released. And yet he was still wondering at any moment, is the, you know, is the, shoe, the other shoe going to fall and he's going to get recaptured? So he's kind of being real tentative and watching from a distance. And he watched them take Jesus and they took a, a crown of thorns. They took these thick thorns that were about this long and wove them into a circle and they put it on his head and they took sticks and beat it into his brow and into his head and the blood began pouring down his head and they began to mock him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And, and which is really interesting because the, the religious leaders, the Jews mocked him as God. The Romans mocked him as king. And Barabbas watched all this. And I wonder, I just wonder if, if when they did that on Jesus, if Barabbas' own scalp began to hurt. Because they thought, that, he's done nothing wrong. I'm the one that deserves that, not him. And then they took him to be flogged. And I don't need to go through all the details of that. You know that they stripped Jesus uh, uh, stripped his back and they tied him to a whipping post and they have a cat of nine tails which is a, a whip about uh, it's a flagrum it's about six feet long with leather strands and, and they wove pieces of sh you know sheep bone splintered sheep bone or metal or something into the ends so that when they would whip somebody they would stand against a post like this and then two Roman guards on either side of them would whip them and it wasn't the snap of the thing against the skin it was the fact that it wrapped all the way around their body and then grabbed into bit into their the flesh and the muscle on their back and then it was the ripping back that was painful because it would rip back the skin and the tissue and the muscle and they did that to Jesus 39 times. The reason they didn't do it 40 is because if they allowed him to die in that process, the Roman guards themselves could be tried for murder. And so they were masters at getting somebody this close to death but not allowing them to die. And I, I just wonder if Barabbas watched that and every time that whip hit Jesus, if Barabbas just felt the twinge of pain and realized that should be me. I'm the one that deserves that, not him. He didn't do anything wrong. And, and I'm standing here watching this, and he's going through all that instead of me. And then 
when Jesus, after 39 times, when he, the Bible says he was barely recognizable because of the damage that had been done to his body through that scourging and flogging, they, they put the, the crossbeam of the cross on his back against those open sores, and he has to carry his own crossbeam. And you know the story, so much so that, that on the way to, and I wonder if, if when they did that, if Barabbas even, you know, just, there was just that pain for him of watching Jesus carry the cross, and Barabbas just a free man going, this makes no sense to me, and it's not fair because this should have been me and not him, and why am I free? And he's dying and I don't, I don't get that and watching Jesus carry that cross and, and becoming so weak from the loss of blood that eventually he collapses on the way to the cross and it's about a two mile journey from the center of Jerusalem out to the edge of town where they crucified him so much so that they didn't want him to die on the journey. The Romans are like, no, you die when we tell you to die. You don't die now. And they grabbed a guy out of the crowd and made him carry the cross being the rest of the way so they could get Jesus out and then, and then I wonder what it must have been like for Barabbas to watch them actually nail Jesus to the cross. Especially because I think, I, I, I just picture this. The Bible doesn't give us an accurate account of this, but I picture Jesus, when they put the cross beam on the, on the post and lashed it together, where, where normally it would take six or eight Roman guards to hold somebody down while they nailed them down. I wonder what the Roman guards did when Jesus laid down on the cross and did this. I wonder if they stepped back and went, whoa, they never had anybody do that. Offer no resistance. But I mean, of course he didn't resist. If, Jesus, if the God of the universe resisted, how many Roman soldiers would it take to hold him down? So Jesus voluntarily lays an arm up there and they drive the spike through his wrist into the wood. And I wonder if, if that just pained Barabbas beyond belief as he watched that, knowing that was what he had been sentenced to. He had been sentenced to die by crucifixion. And now he was watching his nails go through somebody else's wrists. And I wonder if that just undid Barabbas. And then, and then the two putting one of Jesus' feet on top of the other one in that platform on the bottom of the cross and then one spike going through the bones and through both feet and into the cross and then they picked him up and hung him, dropped him in the hole and then he hung there. And I wonder what it was like for Barabbas to watch him hanging there. Because Barabbas had pictured this day. He knew this day was coming, but this wasn't his picture because he knew that he was the one that was going to be on that cross. And now to see him standing there whole and not bleeding and free and watching somebody else in his place, what, what must that have been like for Barabbas? Um, and the reason that's so powerful for me is that I realize I'm Barabbas. When, the, when you hear, you know, Jesus died for your sins, when you see the bumper sticker, it's not some cosmic deal that Jesus died for the sins of billions of people. It's that I was supposed to be on that cross. What the Bible says is that my sin and my brokenness so breaks the heart of God that that's what I deserve. And when Jesus died on the cross that day, he took Barabbas' place, but beyond that, he took my place. That was supposed to be me.
and, and I'm Barabbas. And I hate to tell you, but you're Barabbas. That was supposed to be you. And I believe that when Jesus hung on that cross that day 2,000 years ago, he thought about me. And he thought about you. The om omniscient God of the universe thought, I'm not just here for Barabbas. I'm not taking just Barabbas's place. I'm taking Gordy Smith's place. Because in 2,000 years, there's going to be this idiot named Gordy Smith who's going to be broken and sinful, and he's not going to be able to get to back to my father on his own. And so I'm taking his place today. And I think in some mysterious, miraculous way, he thought about you while he was hanging on that cross. And he said, as much as this hurts, I'm willing to do it. And then Barabbas watched him say a couple of amazing things that day. When he looked down at the Roman soldiers who had, had done this to him, and he said, he looked up to his father in heaven, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. God, please, don't hold this against these guys. Because what is happening here is so much bigger than they have any idea. God, would you please show mercy on them? Help them not to be plagued by this the rest of their lives. Help them to, to come to an understanding that I'm dying in their place too and that they can receive the forgiveness that you offer the same way Barabbas and everybody else does. So God, please don't hold this against them. Jesus was not killed by the Romans. He was not killed by the Jews. He died for you voluntarily. Because at any step along that way, he could have stopped the process. He could have called down legions of angels. He could have just spoken the words and they would have been obliterated. So don't feel sorry for Jesus. This is not, the, the graphicness of the cross is not that somehow we would feel sorry for Jesus. But, but what, do, what does God want us to feel? Because there's a gratitude in realizing that he did that. He took our place. Um, and then at the very end, the last, he said some other things. And then at the very end, he's hanging on the cross and he looks up to heaven and he says, it is finished. And then he hung his head and he died. Now, normally when, and we don't have time to go into all the stuff of the cross, but normally a crucifixion can take days. Uh, the stronger a person is, the longer they last. Because when you die, a di you die of crucifixion, you don't die of pain, although it's excruciating. You don't die of loss of blood, although it's pretty intense. Loss of blood, you die of suffocation. And you've probably heard that. When, when you're hanging on the cross, all the pressure is on your diaphragm and you can't take a breath. And so when you can no longer stand the fact that you can't take a breath, you push up against the nails in your feet to free your diaphragm so you can take a breath. And when you can no longer stand the pain in your feet, you drop back down until you can no longer stand the fact that you can't take a breath. And then you push back up against the nails until you can no longer stand the pain in your feet and then you drop back down. And that process goes on. And the stronger somebody is, the longer they last sometimes days. And we know that Jesus was a very large, strong man. He was a carpenter. And he could have lasted for days. This process for Jesus only lasted three hours. And at the end of that three hours, Jesus said these words, it is finished. And then the Bible says he hung his head and he died. And I think that's a really interesting choice of words because normally when people die, the life goes out of them and their head falls. I believe that it tells us that he hung his head and he died to tell us that Jesus chose the moment of his own death. He was in 100% control this entire time. This was not something that was done to him. This was something he chose to go through every single moment of the process. 
And when he said it is finished, what was finished? The crucifixion was finished? No, everything about why he came was finished. From the moment he was born, a helpless little baby to his mother Mary, and the three wise men came and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, prophetic gifts, gold, the gift you would bring a king, frankincense, the gift you bring the high priest, myrrh, embalming oil. Oh, there's a thoughtful baby gift. <laughs> myrrh is the oils that they would anoint a dead body with. It was either a cruel baby gift or it was prophetic. And it was prophetic. It was, this, it was this one who was born with a purpose and the purpose was to die. And so when Jesus said it, was, it is finished, everything about the every purpose of him coming from heaven to earth was completed in that moment. He had come with a purpose. The purpose was to die. And the purpose was to take your place on the cross and to take my place on the cross. And it says that the moment that Jesus died, Two miles away in the center of Jerusalem in the temple, um, at the front of the temple was a place called, was an altar called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was literally where they believed God lived. The essence of God is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. It's where God lived in the Holy of Holies. And surrounding the Holy of Holies was this curtain that was about a foot thick, this massive curtain that went from the ceiling all the way to the floor, and it lapped over on the floor so even light couldn't get in there. And no one was allowed in there. No one was good enough to be in there in the presence of God. And so once a year, the highest of high priests would go in and offer a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And the highest of high priests was always the oldest priest, and he was really an old guy. And so they would tie a rope around his ankle when he went in there because somebody had the idea what time what happens if he dies when he's in there because nobody can go in again until next year and get him and that would really stink if so they tied a rope around his ankle so that if the high priest died while he was in there they could pull him out that was their thinking um, so this curtain to the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people represented represented sin, represented our brokenness, that barrier that keeps us from intimacy with God, that keeps us from being able to be in the presence of God, that curtain that surrounded the Holy of Holies. The Bible says that at the moment that Jesus died, that curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom and blown wide open. And God was making a statement. Through Jesus' death, that barrier that exists that broke because of our brokenness and our sin, the barrier that exists between us and being in the presence of God has been obliterated through Jesus' death. And you and I now have access to God once again. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what was done for us on that cross. But that doesn't put us back in a relationship with God. Because it takes us all the way back to Genesis where we started when we got here seven weeks ago. <clears throat> the tree in the garden was put there because God so longs to have a relationship with each one of us, so longs to have a relationship with you, that he, he paid the ultimate price. He died on the cross to take your place and then he gives us the choice. Because without choice, there'd be no relationship. That in and of itself doesn't put you back in right relationship with God because the, the essence of choice is still critical. And so God gives you the choice as to whether you want to walk through that or not, whether you want to enter back in. Nothing you need to do, it's all been done. But do you want to receive the forgiveness that God offers through the penalty that was paid for you, the price that was paid for you in your place, 
and be back in that relationship with God. And he leaves that choice uh, up to us. And so what I want to do, and, and that's where you know, the, those famous words of Jesus in, uh, in Revelation, uh, where he says, I've, uh, Here I am, I stand at the door of your life and knock. If any of you hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and live with him and he can live with me. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your life and knock. The price has already been paid. If you will simply hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and I'll live with you and you can live with me. But the choice is yours. And so what I want to do to end our time here is to give us just a few minutes to think about where we are with that. Maybe for some of you, you, you made a decision to follow Christ years and years ago, but the reality is, the hard question is, is he in the center of your life right now? Is he leading your life on a minute-by-minute, day-by-day basis? Because maybe, maybe there needs to be a re-invitation to say, God, I want you back at the center of my life. I've strayed from that. Maybe for some of you, you've never, never taken the the stand of, of saying, God, I want you to be at the center of my life. Would you come in and can I receive the forgiveness that you offer because of the cross? God, I want that life. Will you come be the center of my life? Um, and I want to give us a few minutes to think about that. And while we do, we're going to play a song that was recorded several years ago that talks about that very thing, talks about what was done in your place and ask the question, when Jesus offers himself in relationship and says, anybody that hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and live with him and he will live with me. The, the, the song asks the question, knowing that, how could you say no to this man, to that invitation? And so what we'll do is just give you a few minutes, just sit where you are quietly. Uh, this can be a time of recommitment, a time of initial dedication for you, whatever you, and then immediately following the song, we're not going to close in prayer or give any instructions. I want you just to quietly go to your small groups, and then we're going to take a few minutes in small groups. There's no questions. Here's what, I, here's what we want to do in the small groups. Just take the little bit of time that we have left and talk about the intersection between your life and God in this week. What, is, what has God stirred in you? What will be different for you going back home now? Where have you uh, what's been significant for you in these three days and where have you encountered God uh, in these three days? So just have a chance to hear from each other in the groups and then we'll tell you what's going after that. So hear the words of this song and contemplate where you are in this whole invitation. Say no to this man. 
Say no to this man 